When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of the critically acclaimed book, Fall of the Boston Celtics, which you can still download for free by logging on to www.clnsradio.com slash book. Welcome on in to another edition of Celtics Beat being brought to you today by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Audible. Audible is the leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. And because of your listenership, Audible is offering your first audiobook on them by simply logging on to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Today is Sunday, October 18th. This is Celtics Beat presented by Linda and Audible. And I, I am Larry H. Russell, back from a week off. Thank you, Jared Weiss. Great show last week with Kevin O'Connor. As always, in the archives, iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeHonestRadio.com. I hope over the past two months you've done so. That is, subscribing to us with iTunes and or with Stitcher, so that way you don't miss a show. Get it delivered right to your computer, your mobile device. can still do so. Last week, Jared had the privilege of announcing the winner of our contest. We will be doing more such contests throughout the season. We will be giving away seats to select games, many more contests for other prizes as well. So stay tuned to the show by simply subscribing to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Get shows delivered as they are released and access to our archives anytime. But you missed out on the contest last week. We'll be churning out some more. Don't worry. And if you want to purchase tickets to see the Celtics throughout the season or the Patriots, the Bruins, concert shows, and more, well, check out Tick IQ, our friends over at TickIQ.com. That is T-I-Q-I-Q.com. Just released a fantastic rewards-based mobile ticket buying app. These guys already have the cheapest tickets for all of Boston sports. And now with their mobile app, you can save up to 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available, as well as see all the top deals for games at the Garden, Gillette, and on the road. They aggregate all the ticket sellers on one platform and have the most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store to download the TickIQ app and start saving today. That is T-I-Q-I-Q. Use the promo code BOSTON. That's BOSTON for 10% off off your first purchase. Anyways... Truly loved last week's show. I'd say everything went smoothly except for this minute mishap on behalf of the young Jared Weiss. I am Jared Weiss. LHR will be back next week for another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio. Take us out of here, Kansas. Oh, my God. Oh, you got to be kidding me. This wasn't mixing up Fauna and White Snake or whatever. Come on, man. That's slipping here. This is the hub. What kind of citizen are you of this city? How could you possibly butcher that? That's Boston, provided by Stuff for of course. Check out these. But there are few, actually, that irritate me more than 1980s hanger honors. And there actually are enough of those around, not like there's a podcast on this network hosted by the two of the ultimate castaways. But to butcher a track provided by one of our hometown bands... Maybe one of the most noted bands the city has produced of all. That's a major, major dent in you, in your character. Just, I'm appalled. But other than that, uh, other than that, Mrs. Kennedy, how did you enjoy Dallas? Well, other than that, it really was a, it was a great show. I strongly suggest our listeners. Great insight, great conversation with Kevin. As they were the lucky ones who had the first opportunity, the first opportunity to discuss the first string of Celtics games played as the Celtics. Yes, they were international teams. But if I'm going to get there, I was very pleased in how they played. Just as Kevin and Jared discussed on last week's show. Kevin, he's he's been a, a great guest to the show over the years now. There's now, geez, this is going to be our fourth season covering the team. As, as scary that is. But he's been, Kevin's been on a lot. He's been very good to the show. Guess what? This week's guest, we have a better one this week. No offense. 
but I'm sure even he'd agree. We welcome back Brent Barry of NBA TV. I know him as a great friend, one of the classiest guys I've ever met. He's been so kind to us here on the show and, of course, our audience. They know him for all the great work he's been providing Turner since his playing career ended, 15 years in the league, two titles with the Spurs. And, of course, how can we forget white guy winning the slam dunk contest in 1996? But what we'll have him back on. We want to use this show really as our official, unofficial, official preview of the 2016 NBA campaign. Because next week, a week, right, couple days before the start of the season, it's going to be all Celtics all the time on that show. Uh, as that will be the final show before the regular season. And we will have a little treat in store for our audience next week on episode 128. But this week, real good time to put ourselves, well, myself, on the line here. Stick my nose out and maybe make some official proclamations for the coming 2016 NBA season. And I can't wait to have Brent on here in a few minutes to do that. But, but, this is our first show, well, my first show, where we've had some games to work with and... In my opinion, so far, so good. Even after Friday night against the Knicks, which obviously didn't really go too well, I thought almost across the board. But I'd still say so far, so good. As many know, I was a bit lukewarm, to say the least, heading into this season this past summer. I was now, I'm I'm actually pretty excited about this team and the prospects of this team. I think I'm beginning to get... Not on that bandwagon of, of course, yes, they're a playoff team, but possibly even doing something in the in the playoffs. But I'm getting pretty excited. I really am. And I know it seems like every day now there's another computer-generated formula that has the Celtics not just being in the playoff picture, which would be a victory in itself, I think, this season. But in the upper echelon of the conference, a top-four seed, challenging for 50 wins. And it's very encouraging of course, the common critique is take it with a grain of salt. I know we all laugh, but you remember this past summer with the Harvard and or there's the MIT studies or whatever, the, the kooks from Cambridge across the Charles River. That might as well be the Berlin Wall to me. I, I never go across that uh, river, but those uh, <laughs> those guys staying up in the wee hours of the night and releasing these theses on how the Miami Dolphins are the team to beat in the NFL this season. I know, I know, but... It can't cause reason to fret, and hey, Nate Silver can predict elections, and people of his ilk have made careers out of beating the wise guys and the point spreads. But in all honesty, with what's coming out at us now, what we've been seeing on the court for these four preseason games, I believe it is, and with what's happening on it, let's go. I want to go back to Europe because obviously I didn't have the chance to discuss that, um, being here on last week's show, and that's really as good as the Celtics have looked all preseason. Of course, they did really give the Nets a whooping as well. But I want to discuss Europe because that's when the team has had their full arsenal here. Also, There's also now these games in New York. There have been some guys in and out of the lineup. They've been mixing things up. But Europe, the team pretty much had, uh, Brad Stevens had uh, everything to work with. Like you saw in the Nets game, you saw a lot of very good, some really nice individual performances with certain guys out, like Isaiah Thomas, Amir Johnson, uh, Evan Turner, he shouldn't uh, he shouldn't simply be dismissed. He's saying, don't trade me yet. And RJ Hunter, he's really starting when uh, win people over. Italy and Spain. Steven had pretty much the full cast to work with. And it just gave us a better gauge on this unit. Funny too, huh? Playing international teams instead of NBA teams, giving us the, the better gauge, especially when it's barely NBA teams. Like that, that's how, how bad I think a lot of us expect them to be. Oh, major fist pump there. Back to you for a few moments here. Uh, to those who have the willpower to listen to this show over the past few months, you may recall, in fact, you probably do recall, as many of our loyal listeners have taken the time to email me about this topic. The primary topic of discussion on this show over the summer, that being is I have been a little concerned about the roster situation, the congestion on the roster, if you will, and going as far to say it very well could be the undoing of the team this year. But the best of what I saw... And what came out of Europe, in my opinion, of course, obviously, young players, they all played well. But the best of what came out of Europe was, well, two things, really. But two things that are actually intertwined with one away another. And that being, I think, the play of David Lee. And the big one, the roster situation has now almost already sorted itself out. I'll get to that in a minute, actually, 
want to talk a little bit because a lot of people, and I guess for good reason now, they got on me about David Lee for how little we discussed about him over the summer. Because, in fact, but when Boston traded for him in, what, was it mid-July? I don't think, well, I myself, really, I really didn't discuss him until the end of August. So, sorry, I, I, didn't, I hope I made this up to the audience. But those two games in Europe and the two teams in New York have given us outsiders, us observers, us fans, a chance to see what maybe Brad Stevens has seen in the early phases of training camp. And quite frankly, maybe what Danny Ainge saw before all this. No surprise there. But David Lee, in these very, very, very early stages, yes, he has game left. If you look at just, just the box score on Friday night against the Knicks, uh, you may not come away seeing that. But if you watch how he operates, I came away feeling that he has enough game left where he can be a multifaceted weapon, if you will, on offense. For example... I was particularly pleased, yes, with his passing. The work really out of the high post. And I have to credit some of our listeners, Jason Sapp and Aaron, who have been our two biggest contributors to our Facebook group. Again, facebook.com slash Celticsbeat. Love to have you in there and discuss the Celtics on a daily basis as opposed to a weekly basis with this show. But And, of course, as well, got to throw my favorite columnist on the web, Rich Conti. But the comparison they brought up about two weeks ago now of the Celtics running an offense similar to that of the Sacramento Kings back in the early 2000s when their big people, Vlade, uh, Chris Weber, but really it was Vlade especially initiating so much of their offense out of the high post. The Kings, that was a really well-coached team back then with Rick Adelman and, um, oh, Jesus, what's, oh, God, what's his name? Uh, what's, uh, oh, my God, this is a sin for me to forget uh but that Sacramento team, they never won, but like the Air Coriel Chargers and the annals of history for us NBA diehards, but how precise and how disciplined the execution on offense. And, and okay, right now this is just uh, killing me. Their assistant coach, uh, he used to coach at Princeton. Uh, the, geez, the, the backdoor cut against UCLA, a former coach, uh, Jason Rich, Aaron, if you're listening, I, I really need you here. But can the Celtics do things like that? Okay, got to get back and check here. Can they run similar formations of the offense in every aspect of the game? Do they have the firepower that Kings team does? No, of course not. But do they have a big out of a low block with the back-to-the-basket game that can draw double teams and can pass, let alone a high post guy? But the ability, the ability to execute, if you recall about that Kings team, they were almost like the Patriots where they could lose a guy, think how many games they played without Chris Webber during those years. When they, And while they couldn't really win a championship without him, they were still a very, very good team that could win a lot of basketball games due to how crisp their offense was. But how much those players bought into that system. If we get that with the Celtics, where you don't match the talent level of that Kings team or even what the best of the league has to offer today, but good enough maybe for this team to make advancements as a team, as a franchise, that many want them to see them make, good enough to have a team that could entice more people to watch them both locally and national, and good enough maybe for those 48-49 wind uh, computer algorithms are spinning out. And what was great about that trip was it showed that some of these individuals, particularly David Lee, and there are so many others as well, we can't really go down on the roster, but to say David Lee, carving out a bit of a role for himself and showing that he can contribute so this team can make really those advancements as a team and play the type of style of caliber of basketball that can almost help you win almost at any times. And as also, too, what I mentioned, what I love most about uh, going over to Europe was, as I mentioned, Stevens had pretty much his entire roster to work with. And I think that as previously mentioned, there's practices that we don't get to see and we don't get to make judgments, but the staff does. And I think that those two games over there show that this congested roster that I was so uh, afraid about, it may very well not exist and it may have already sorted itself out. The rookies... They played great earlier in the week. Stevens had very, very high praise for Jordan Mickey, who's had a great preseason. He was pretty much the lone bright spot, in my opinion, against the Knicks. But Rogier, I mean, he was out. He's been out these last few games. But he played very well before he got banged up. And R.J. Hunter, I know everyone's sort of driving that bandwagon. Uh, I feel he's actually the one guy that can contribute to the team this year, this year. And I have this inkling that he will. You can hold me to that. A lot of times throughout NBA history, guys that have that ability to shoot, it's they are the ones who almost always stick around, even if they can't do anything else all the way. But from a guy like Kyle Corver to your Kurs, your Red X, and even your Jason Caponos, 
But I have an intuition that you'll see Hunter have a game or two this year. But the rookie, there's the three guys. I think if you're going to talk about the rotation, I don't think they're really going to be in it. So already there's three guys you can safely say are out. They'll likely be at the end of the bench or up or up in Maine. James Young, I know he had a couple shots against the Knicks, but there are still many instances where he doesn't look like he's engaged all that you know, mentally. So it's safe to say he's out. Perry Jones, I think it's safe to say that he is almost certainly going to be cut before the season. That healthy scratch on Friday is sort of the final nail on his cross. There's five. Jonas Jarepko, he is, uh, I think, a fringe. But that's a tough one because I love him. I think he can really help this team. He helped him last year, but maybe he'll kind of fight with Olenek. There you may see a game where Olenek gets a little more burn and or vice versa with, with, uh, with Jarepko. And number seven. Lucky, number seven, it seems he's, I think, definitely out of the rotation. Mr. Jared Sollinger, and it actually may have been a blessing in disguise that he returned to camp with more loose skin than Ric Flair, and he's looked terrible thus far against the Nets, the Knicks, and he actually already seems resigned to the fact that he may be out of the rotation, almost defeated, which is, I think, kind of sad because... It may be one less possibility at an unhappy camper, but judging by what he said to the media, and I've always had a tendency to take what players say to the media with a grain of salt, you know, well, we got to get better and focus on the next team. It is what it is on a Cincinnati, blah, blah, blah. And I actually shouldn't say that too. I should be a company man and talk to you about our YouTube channel and get all the great work Jared Weiss and Kyle George do with the Garden Report with raw, uncut videos in the locker room, youtube.com slash CLNS radio. But Solinger is out and boom, there it is. There's your rotation. Whether they're starting or not, or playing 35 or 18 minutes, you got Lee, Amir Johnson, Tyler Zeller, Jay Crowder, Smart, Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, Evan Turner, and maybe you know Olenek slash Jarebko. But there are your nine guys as of now, before any trades and injuries, obviously. Solid front line. Boston could, well, they don't want it to happen, but they could afford an injury there. They'd be able to handle it, especially if you do sit Selinger, you relegate him to being injury insurance. He would be, he would return as hungry. I know, insert lame joke here, but he would be pretty hungry to prove himself, get a second chance if he was able to win a spot back because if someone went down or Olenek, Jarepko being able to angle for more, more time as well, but depth along the front court, depth in the back court. Again, I use that word afford could easily manage an extended injury to anyone in the backcourt, in my opinion, except Thomas. He's really the glue to the second unit. And yes, I know he had that great game against the Nets, and he has been starting these last two games. But sixth man, sixth freaking man, he is going to make that whole second unit go, just as he did last year when that whole season turned around. And duh, if the Celtics are to use their depth as an advantage and not as a detriment to the undoing of the team from within, it is that second unit that's going to win games for them. Turning him around in the second quarter, get the crowd involved if they are at home, etc., etc. We'll have plenty of time to go there. So, time for my favorite part of the show. Turning it over to our very engaged and very informed audience. Facebook question of the week presented by Harry's.com. Wake up to Harry's, a better way to shave with cost-effective razors and products designed to give you the highest quality shaving experience possible. Say goodbye to money going down the drain with utterly absurd arm and a leg prices for drugstore razor blades and sign up for an account with Harry's and get a starter's kit for 10 bucks, which includes a razor, shaving cream or gel, and a month's worth of blades for, again, all of $10 by simply mentioning Celtics upon checkout. That's Celtics at Harry's.com, Facebook.com slash CelticsBeat. Presented this week by Harry's. I switched over to these guys not too long ago. Tremendous, tremendous shave with high-quality goods. And most importantly, the time and the money I've been saving. I mean, $35 here and $35 there, week in and week out. That goes a long way, especially for a middling member of society like me. But anyways, Facebook question of the week, presented by Harry's.com. Is the Boston Celtics roster already a set? That's it. And if you want, feel free to let us know what you feel. It is over at Facebook.com slash CelticsBeat. Looking forward to hearing from you as always. Be it in the Facebook, Twitter, at CLNS underscore LHR, or heck, email me, LarryRussell86 at gmail.com. That is my personal email. Yes, personal Gmail, my name and the year I was born. Looking forward to hearing from you or any of you. And yes, really looking forward to hearing from our guest. It is guest time, and as I am sure a good portion of you are, 
Brent Barry, 1996 slam dunk champion, won title with the Spurs in 05 and 07. 15 years in the NBA, now providing work for NBA TV, and will be a color commentator, he mentioned to me as well, on the Turner broadcast this coming season. So looking forward to NBA Thursdays on TNT, as we always do. But our interview with Brent is brought to you by DraftKings. Your season-long fantasy football team may be going strong, but you don't have to wait until week 16 to get paid. Put your fantasy skills to the test every week this season at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. With one-week fantasy, there are no season-long commitments. Got an injured player? No problem. It's like a new season every week. So you're never stuck with the same players. And get this, DraftKings is crowning a new millionaire every week this season. That means you could turn your love of football into the payday of a lifetime. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That is it. Believe me, you've never experienced football like this. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings.com now. Use promo code New England and play for free with your first deposit in this Sunday's $1 million fantasy football contest where first place takes home a hundred grand. Enter New England for free entry now only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Time to now hurry to this interview. Bones, it has been a long time, my friend. It's good to have you back on the show. Tommy, uh, good to hear your voice. I know you're excited about the next upcoming season here, as am I. So back back to the grind for us. I'm actually excited, really excited first time in a long time, obviously for selfish reasons, of course. And it's actually always good to break barriers and buck trends. And I guess we can do it on this show. We've had you on a free few times over the years. I believe this is number three. Never really discussed the Celtics with you, largely because we discussed plenty of Celtics on this show, and you've been one of our go-to guys to go around the league with, which we'll do a little later in this segment. But the primary reason is that, well, the Celtics have never really been worth talking about from a national point of view in the times we've had you on. But now I'm really intrigued what people outside the region think of the Celtics being any sort of a factor in the landscape of the league. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, – I think everything started when uh, when Danny Ainge – Went a little bit outside the, the box there and uh, and hired Brad Stevens and uh, drew a lot of attention with not only the hiring of Brad but the commitment to Brad to, to being in Boston. I think it was a six year deal at the time that he had signed, and so for a college coach with no pro experience, sort of uh, shot out of a cannon with a couple of years there at Butler, um, you, people kind of were looking to their right and to their left, like what the what is Danny doing? <laughs> what is Danny doing? Where where are they going? And uh, since that time, I think everybody's realizing that uh, Danny Ainge is, is still pretty smart. He's been smart in the past, and he's still pretty smart. Uh, and Brad Stevens has, has got himself, uh, you know, in a great position there in Boston to keep making some strides with a young team and a style of basketball that I think a lot of people recognize as uh, being forward-thinking. And uh, the roster's starting to take some shape, and, and Danny's starting to make some moves to get them competitive. And last year was great. I think a little bit further than what they expected, obviously. But, uh, you know, trying to build on that and get ready for the upcoming campaign. Yeah, it's scary that you mentioned that he got a six-year deal. We're actually, this is the third year. Uh, we're going to be three years into it. And there's already you know, yeah. some vague talk outside the organization. Some people I've had on this show that have mentioned, hey, the Celtics have to make more strides or else is, I mean, he's only added to his own personal resume, Brad Stevens, with the job he's done with the team. But I want to talk about the prospects of the team, especially with what I've seen so far that's come out over these past few weeks. I have to admit, as a fan, I was a little lukewarm heading into the season, largely because I thought the way they construct the team, there would be a number of issues on the roster. But judging by what I've seen in the preseason, some guys have already prayed their ways out of roles, and I think that's beginning to settle itself out. And then there's been the influx. I know you're going to love this, Bones. But the influx of algorithms, oh, the almighty algorithms, advanced formulas and computer-generated scenarios and predictions that have the Celtics winning 45, 48, 49 games competing for two seeds. I mean, I guess it doesn't take much to sway me, but I know that's right up your alley. Well, I would say this, Tommy. There's got to be also some idea if if you're a Celtic fan, and many Celtics fans are, are very, very knowledgeable. They understand the game more so than, you know, 85% 85% of, of the general NBA population that follow their local teams. Celtic fans understand not only their team, but basketball in general. Um, and so it's, it's really, you know, hard to uh, kind of throw propaganda out and to convince Boston that they're going to be good. They either know that or they don't. 
The one thing about the Celtics is that they're playing in the Eastern Conference. And so you have to remember about the teams in the East. I mean, there's really one significant clear powerhouse that uh, resides in Cleveland and behind LeBron James that definitely is head and shoulders talent-wise and with their experience because LeBron makes up for so many things that is the cream of the crop for the Eastern Conference. The rest of the teams really are still trying to figure out what they're going to do, trying to take the next step. I mean, Miami is coming off of a team last year that was decimated by injuries, major players in Chris Bosh and Whiteside missing tons of time, never having really Dragic, Whiteside, that whole crew all together at the same time and trying to get a rookie on board to play any minutes. Toronto is, you know, Masai Ujiri is reshaping the Toronto Raptor roster and trying to see if they can improve uh, by being a little bit more athletic and dynamic on the offensive end, although their defense last year was poor, so Carroll addresses that. Uh, the Wizards losing Paul Pierce are going to play a little bit different style under Randy Whitman. So I, I could go on and on, but the Celtics are in a position where because of last year, because of the roles that guys accepted last year, because people see that guys are going to improve this year in the roles that they were given uh, last year and be comfortable with that going in, you could say that the Celtics are in a good position to be a little bit better than they were the season before. But this is not to say that Boston is in the top 10 of the teams that are competing in the NBA at this time. I mean, most of those uh, reside out West. Dude, I I got to go back to what you originally said when you were talking about generalizing Celtics fans. It's just oh so knowledgeable. Is that sort of a a guy from the Bay Area, where that's sort of like an, a Northeast thing and a Bay Area thing, or you know we have the opposite coasts, and then everybody else in between is just not as intelligent as us, us uh, folks with higher educations in the well, Bay Area? No, I, I would say Boston. I mean Boston in general. When you get to witness the the kind of greatness that the Celtics teams have, and obviously this puts me in a different age bracket than you, but we, we know this. Having seen great teams in Boston and understanding what it takes to win championships and standards that are set, I think that that's what it is that Boston fans um, are used to seeing. They understand those dynamics and chemistry that surround what a great team can be. And that's one of the things that I think that uh, – you know, Danny really appreciates about what Brad has done with the Celtic culture, given, you know, the, the time of Rondo and Pierce and Allen and Garnett passing along is that there's been a reestablishment under Brad Stevens pretty quickly with the Boston Celtics about recognizing who you're playing for, where it is that you're playing and how it is that you're going to play. And there, I don't know if you get that sense, but I, I'm not being, not having been to Boston in the past couple of seasons, having to work out of a, a dry, dank, dark studio in Atlanta, I still get the sense in watching Celtics games as much as I do during the year that there is a, a general connection between what Brad Stevens does and how the team plays that seems to be pretty positive. I know. It's been five years. The last time was five years ago when they were in the finals. You were last up here, right, when I saw you that time? Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're replacing some pretty – uh, pretty good talent, and uh, you've got to start over. And you know, Danny has had to, uh, you know, people talk about plans and you know what they're going to do. I, I think that they've managed this decently well to get themselves into this kind of position, where in the next two or three years they can um, make decisions moving forward that put them in a spot to be competitive every year, and not just hey, you know, getting into the playoffs, looking at a sixty, but to the point where you know Boston looking at. A, a top four seed, a home court advantage, and being able to compete for something. I mean, that's the, the ultimate goal, of course. Well, I hope I was that representation of what you just described, what the Celtics fan was. Anyways, you touched upon this a few minutes ago, and it's pretty heinous on my end, but I'm going to go there anyways. Let's operate. This is the I think this is the most fun way to discuss the Eastern Conference, unfortunately. But let's operate under the assumption that LeBron James will be unavailable. And, hey, I'm not. This is fair game. Anything's fair game. <laughs> But it's a nice way of putting this. Let's operate under the assumption LeBron James does not exist in the basketball landscape in April and May of 2016. Someone comes up to you, grabs you by the neck, and puts a water gun right in your ear hole, asks you for a prediction of who comes out of the East. And I'm doing it nicely. Who do you have? 
Well, if LeBron James doesn't exist and Derrick Rose is 75% of who he is, then I worry about the Chicago Bulls being next in line. I want to shift. I had your pal Tass Mellis of the starters on not too long ago, and we talked about uh, the- Tass. <laughs> Hey, he was, he's just great, and we had, some, we had some nice, kind words. He's very lucky he gets to work with you. I'm jealous in that end. But uh, we had the interest level with the Cavs being such a dead mortal lock to be back in the finals. And really, that's the yeah. only thing that can prevent it, be it an injury to LeBron and maybe the Celtics make the conference finals and play the Cavs and two rabid fans kidnap LeBron in the wee hours of the night. You know, they made a movie out of that, Brent. But, yes, it's debatable what kind of intrigue there will be in the East this year with the Cavs and really LeBron just being on a pedestal of their own. The West, different story. Speak to anyone. They all have their favorites. I'd love to take a wild guess on who you feel is the favorite out there because of your connection with the Spurs and your affection, obviously, out in the Bay Area with the Warriors. But who would you go with? Or is there even a favorite? I don't think there's a favorite. I mean, they're legitimately, when you talk about having five – potentially four teams, maybe you could throw a fifth in if, uh, if you want to include the Rockets as uh, somebody that could t- could take it down. Uh, you, you're looking at the Warriors, the Spurs, the Clippers with uh, the death of their roster this year and some tweaking that they're going to do. The Thunder and their recovery with health under new head coach Billy Donovan, who I saw this summer, and I told him, I said, Billy, you know, it's pretty easy. First-year coaches win championships all the time. See Steve Kerr. Um, and then you throw in the Rockets and the Grizzlies. I mean, it's pretty pretty awesome in the Western Conference that those teams um, will will all have a shot. And um, how they play out and what happens in the matchups come the spring will be interesting. But I'm really fascinated as to probably the biggest story will be how the Thunder get going in the early part of the season. Watching Kevin Durant's health. Uh, watching the way that Billy Donovan coming out of training camp is starting to put his imprint on this team offensively to get guys to do some of the things that they haven't done over the last three or four years under Scott Brooks in terms of some of their execution. I mean, they've been an excellent team. Scott Brooks did a great job, but everybody is going to focus on how it is that OKC is making strides on the offensive end and that they're moving guys around and not uh, reliant so much on, on Westbrook and Durant. That, to me, is going to be a really fascinating story to watch them develop. Pat Riley, there's another coach who won it his first year as well. Actually took over mid, not mid-season, right. but uh, you know, early Paul, in the Paul season. Westfall. Yeah, guys, yeah, the guys that were in the finals in their first year even. I mean, it's uh, it was an incredible year. David Blatt and Steve Kerr doing that just last year, you know, sitting there uh, trying to make decisions, pull strings, and, and push all the right buttons uh, in their first campaigns as head coaches. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, and even Phil Jackson, he didn't win his first year, but you know, he got him to the conference finals, and then I think they won a few more years after that, if I do recall. But uh, one thing that I have to watch, too, about the Thunder is I think – let me just go back and sort of you know, retract – you mentioned, obviously, Spurs, Warriors. I think that's one, two. And I think you sort of draw, like, a little bit of a line. And then you have Clippers. And then, obviously, I think Thunder. Um, and with the Thunder. Clippers, Thunder, Rockets. Yeah, Clippers, Thunder, Rockets right there. You think you, you, you'd even put – I mean, I know Houston Memphis, was in the conference and, and, finals. But you think Houston is pretty much on the same level as, as – uh, yeah, I healthy, don't – no, no question. I mean, the reason why I point to that, Tommy, is the fact that you've got James Harden. I mean, James, James Harden, what he was able to do last year – uh, it, that's the one probably interesting thing with the Rockets to watch in, in their soap opera, which is what every season is for every team. But for the soap opera for the Rockets this year is to watch the dynamic between two things. Dwight Howard played in half the games last year, half of the games, and has come out and said that last year he dealt with some injuries, a torn meniscus that not a lot of people knew about, was dealing with some back issues. So he appeared in half the games, and I think they won 50 six games, 53, 56. I can't remember the number, but that's a hell of a season to not have that kind of defensive impact in there in Dwight Howard. Well, did that mean that guys were able to do more because he wasn't playing or could the Rockets be better? That remains to be seen. The second issue with the Rockets is how it is that Kevin McHale is going to disperse minutes to a team that last year Kevin had guys hurt. And that makes it really easy in the NBA for coaches to say, okay, you're going to play because he's hurt. So we're going to 
Terrence Jones, you're, st- you're our starter. Moti Yunus, you're going to come off the bench. Then Terrence Jones gets hurt. So Moti Yunus, you're going to play. And he was awesome last year. And Terrence Jones, they didn't know when he was going to come back. And when he did, he came off the bench because he wasn't quite right. And so Kevin had really not a lot of decisions to make with a whole lineup of healthy players in Houston. He just played guys as they got healthy. And so this year it's going to be interesting to see how he handles not only that power forward spot between Moti Yunus and Terrence Jones, but obviously Ty Lawson coming in as a point guard who commands the ball a lot, plays with the ball a lot, has to be effective because he's a point guard and has played with the ball throughout his career in Denver. How does he play off the ball with Harden and how does that dynamic work? So there's good things in Houston, but the team is still very, very competitive, deep, long, athletic, and really tough to play. Yeah, you're having sort of a hard time selling me on the Houston thing larger because I guess I can. I have no qualms admitting I'm an ignorant Bostonian, but I just look at it as like when I have sort of that top echelon, I feel that the Clippers could beat the Spurs, the Clippers could beat the Warriors, the Thunder could beat the Warriors, etc. I don't feel that in a playoff series, Houston could be. They could beat the Clippers when they beat them last year. I don't feel they could beat the Warriors or the Spurs, and that's sort of largely because I just. So you're 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 saying that even even with health and given a deeper roster, that the Rockets would not be in a position like they were just last year, Tommy, two one and a buzzer beater by James Harden away from being tied with the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, that's that's how close they were last year. So I, I, I find it interesting. It. I, I, okay, I well, that's, I that's fair enough. I don't. But there's one. I, I wouldn't. I just can't. You just can't think that, that Houston is not a team that causes some some teams in the West some real problems. I agree with that. Who, I think they could cause Houston yeah. problems. I just – I mean, I think that they're no better than five-seed, second-round material. And I just, you know, if they use sort of historical comparisons or whatever, you know, obviously the 80s Bucks. I feel like they're the 80s Bucks right now. It's like they, they, they couldn't get but around they're, but they're, or Philadelphia. You think they're you, – is your opinion then that there's regression on the team in Houston, or do you just feel that the loaded Western Conference teams that would be in the front latter. of them the – you'd have. Yeah, you'd have more confidence in a loaded Clipper team, Spurs team, Warrior team that, that you could trust a little bit more. Absolutely. No question about it. That's, I go with the latter. And this is one question I definitely want to ask you. We're going to ask you two more questions before we get you out of here. But I remember you obviously you signed. Did you sign with the Spurs the year after the Fisher buzzer beater when they went? Uh, they lost the Lakers in the second yeah, round? Was, or were you on that team? Yeah. No, I wasn't on that team. I was watching that game in Los Angeles because my year in Seattle had ended, and uh, I was sitting at my house watching that game, and I could hear a small roar in the small beach community I was in after that shot was made, and people kind of filtering out of their houses and into the side alleys and streets celebrating that that their Fisher miracle shot. I was like... I mean, he obviously, I was a lot younger then, so I obviously took that more personally. But the reason why I ask you is, is you signed with the Spurs, uh, largely because I'm, I'm assuming you wanted to win some championships, which you ended up doing. David West did the same thing, but left. I, mean, I still can't get over this. I brought this up with Taz. He left $11 million on the table. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's an incredible financial sacrifice oh. for for David West. Obviously, at this point in his career, I, that, that the opportunity for him to ever see um, that kind of financial gain and windfall will not happen to him in the rest for the rest of his life. And David West knows that he knows that clearly, um, and, and made a choice to do something that for him he thought was going to be more fulfilling than to go somewhere and be part of a team that needed to either grow or where he's just going to be a piece to get a team into the playoffs. Um, he wanted the opportunity to go somewhere uh, and win. And choosing San Antonio, trust me, I've spoken with many members of uh, the upper brass here in San Antonio, and they just felt like that that was some sort of miracle. Uh, they, had no, they had no idea about that, that it was a complete long shot. But the fact that David West was seeking them out and wanting to, to be part of what they were going to do next year uh, was a coup for them, of course. 
Yeah, from a team standpoint with San Antonio, it's a very abstract way of describing things. It's only going to give them that much more motivation to compete and obviously to win a championship. But I, I still just can't get over You know, we shower athletes who make it clear their primary goal is winning, and then we villainize those who don't. But this one still just baffles me. Like a couple of years ago when Wade, Bosch, and LeBron supposedly left a few bucks on the table to team up, when it came down to it, with playing in a state with no income tax in Florida and then endorsement deals they could obtain for being key players on championship teams, which they were, they sacrificed pennies uh, in the grand scheme of things, pennies. But yeah. David West. Yeah, I think I saw some. I think I saw some financial stuff, Tommy. On you know, if, if David West had signed in a couple different locations, given the money that was out there, that it was r- roughly an after-tax kind of thing, where it was between you know six and six and eight million dollars net for him to make the decision to come uh, to San Antonio. That that's what his his financial loss was. You know, the number will be people will all year long talk about eleven million dollars that David gave up. I mean, it's somewhere in the range between six and eight million. And, you know, obviously that's a huge that's, amount yeah, of money. We're not, it it's like monopoly money. It's crazy. But the sacrifice, the idea, the core about it is the fact that he sacrificed whatever that was to, to be part of uh, what it is that San Antonio represents. After playing 12 seasons and being somewhere, it's the, it's kind of the opposite thought for guys at this point where, the last few years, they might think about, uh, you know, a final windfall to, to ride off into the sunset and financially take advantage of what's happened um, with, with the TV money coming in and, and things available. You know, you're never going to see it again. But for David to do this uh, and to play his 13th season in San Antonio as a, you know, as a piece, a guy that's not going to play a ton of minutes, a guy that's used to, you know, getting 12, 13 shots a game for his career and playing 32 minutes is now going to be relegated to, you know, nights where he might not play or nights where he's going to play 15 minutes and might might not see the ball that much. Um, more important for him to be part of that, that winning than uh, to, to be in line at the bank. No, it's 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 really just mind-boggling. I mean, we talk about obviously the six and eight million dollars. I mean, I'm I'm not. I have no qualms admitting I'd be willing to commit high crimes and treason for that kind of money. But lastly, yeah, we we all we all are in that same boat. Yes. <laughs> lastly, though, this is all for fun. Give me your runner predictions here. I'll just give you two little individual awards. Give me your MVP, and then I'm going to say Coach of the Year because that's going to kind of give us a clue on who you think will overachieve this year. And then give me who over who and how many games in the finals. You're on the spot. Um, I don't know if James Harden can be as good as he was last year, but I feel like Steph Curry and, and LeBron James don't maybe have the exact same motivation. Trust me, they want to be great players and they want to lead their teams, but I think James Harden has a chip on his shoulder. And so I I might lean towards James Harden actually being the MVP this year and seeing if he, you know, can kind of replicate what he was doing Last season, who else were you looking at, Tommy? Give me coach of the year, and then who over who in the finals, the and how many? Coach of the year, jeez, uh, Louise. Um, That's sort of like your surprise. I mean, it's an I indirect think indirect question for me to answer your surprise team. You know, there's a chance for Frank Vogel if this uh, science experiment works with Paul George playing small forward and them changing their identity within one year, one full season with Paul George being out, if they play small and they are somehow in the, if they somehow are in the home court discussion for the playoffs, Frank Vogel might get some consideration for being coach of the year in Indiana. If that team is a home court advantage team. So I'll throw that out there. Uh, And let's see finals prediction. I mean, finals predictions in uh, the fall, are probably the most insanely stupid idea. We have fun to though. <laughs> try to propagate uh, to to the general I mean, we public can hold about we who's going to be playing. Well, you you can, but then let's say LeBron James does, God forbid, break his leg. No, 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 no. The Celtics fans in the final. Oh yeah, and the kid or the kidnapping. Yeah. So, you know, predicting these things is nuts. But Cleveland Cavaliers against the Oklahoma City Thunder in the finals. I like it. All right. Brent Barry, NBA TV. You can follow Bones on Twitter, at Barrier3. Bones, once again, thanks so much for stopping by the show, man. Hopefully the Celtics can get competitive so we can get you back up here and make your time in Boston worth, you know, a while. 
That that sounds great, Tommy. And you know, we can talk again throughout the year about all the things I was just wrong about over the last 15 minutes. No problem. Oh, oh we will, especially all the great work you folks do on Turner. But Bones, thank you once again. We'll be back after the break. Thanks for sticking with us. Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right, seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool and the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, we're going all out by building an 80s video game arcade with Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and of course Pac-Man, showing movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink and there'll even be a VJ contest don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night a movie costume party, pajama party and neon beach party you can't miss this, sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016 for the most gnarly vacation ever for more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080 This is Larry H. Russell back here again, and let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book, or three, be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's Republic. I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in, and we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution. My good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever. Be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever. Audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Welcome back into the show. Great chat there with Brent. Of course it was a great chat. It was a freaking guest segment here on Celtics Beat. What am I going to say? But no, great fun. There was one rift in there, just like the last time it was on with Pub Brian. But yes... The Houston Rockets. I thought the comparison I made, and this is the most unfair comparison, everyone brings up those classic good but not good enough teams throughout history. Everyone, especially the throwbacks, including me, I just did the 80s box or the 90s Pacers even. Not that these Houston Rockets play anywhere near a similar style or are constructed like they were. But I feel they fall on that good but not good enough to get it done. You know, 80s Bucks, nice team. But they were never good enough to beat both Boston and Philadelphia in the same year in the playoffs. Could they beat them once? They one series. They were never good enough to beat both. I think that's where I sort of come down on the Rockets. If I want to touch upon this briefly, so last year they advanced the conference finals, and you can always see that teams can just match up against certain teams. So last year in the Rockets instance, taking advantage of the Clippers choking. But they'll never be able to go, I don't want to say never, but as the way the team is constructed now and likely for the next few years, they won't be able to go the distance in one year because they would just need too many breaks to go their way, particularly matchup-wise. Could the Rockets beat the Clippers? Well, they did last year. So, yes, could the Rockets beat the Clippers? Sure. Could they beat the Thunders? Uh, probably, yeah, probably. Um, could they beat the Spurs? That's doubtful. Could they beat... The Warriors, I actually think they would have no shot there. You like to think they have to beat at least two of those four teams I named in the same postseason. With the Warriors, I actually think they'd have no shot, despite what Brent said. You know, ah, well, if they won game game two. I mean, come on, Bones. They got freaking decimated by the Warriors. They need matchups. 
But the Warriors, so we're going to talk about the West. The Warriors, they can beat anybody. We know that. The defending champions winning 67 games. Spurs, they can beat anybody. Clippers, I like to think they could beat anyone, although they've always been a bit of an enigma. Uh, but still, I think that's possible. But they are a notch below the Spurs and Golden State, who are clearly the favorites. Oklahoma City, if healthy, eh. But those teams, Warriors, Spurs, they stand alone because they can literally beat anyone, including each other. Then you draw a line, Clippers and Thunder. They can beat just about anybody. Then draw another line. you got Houston. They may stand alone in their own little room. They can beat virtually everybody, but there are some teams that they can't beat. And then the rest, I guess, out west, it's sort of whatever. Now, the other highlight. I'm sure there are those who are listening. The majority of those who are listening enjoyed Brent's high praise for the astuteness of the Celtics fans. You're a Celtic fan, and many Celtics fans are, are very, very knowledgeable. They understand the game more so than, you know, 85% of, of the general NBA population that follow their local teams. Celtic fans understand not only their team, but basketball in general. Yeah, baby. Although I actually uh, thought his reasoning would be more because of the great education us New Englanders are privileged to and we have the access to as opposed to the rest of the country. I really did, and we're so smug about it as well. But watching those great teams, back to get serious here, watching those great Celtics teams, watching great basketball, and being exposed to great basketball, even if you aren't old enough as a fan to experience Kuzi, Russell, Jones, Havlicek, Cowens, Bird, McHale, Parrish, Lewis, and even if you aren't old enough as a fan, you still are drawn to the history and the greatness in one way or another. Heck, watching NBA's greatest games over on NBA TV. There's a nice little plug for you guys down there at Turner. But you're drawn to that, and it's like, ah, that's what great basketball is. And this latest era, which is now ancient freaking history, uh, going to be eight years after the season since the last title. How depressing is that? Six years since the finals appearance, which coincidentally is when I met Brent, and he's been so good to me since then. Even though, as he said, he hasn't been in Boston uh, since 2010. We've got to change that. And the only way is for the Celtics to return to what they once were 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. This is the anniversary season of all those titles, 66, 76, 86. But, of course, with enjoying the road, which I think we will do. But going back off the Celtics, I mentioned how I wanted to use this episode of Celtics Beat as our official, unofficial, unofficial, official, however you would want to phrase that. But we have a special treat for you next week because we're going to go all Celtics all the time. We're going to go around the NBA in five. I'm putting myself on the line now. This is our preview show for the 2016 season. On this day, October 18th, 2015, this will be the official prediction segment on my end uh, for the NBA this season. And as always, around the NBA in five, brought to you by, yes, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations, and all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork and, of course, beef, AFN's family ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy today. Let's start off with some individual awards. MVP, I'm going to go with Anthony Davis. He's gotten significantly better each and every one of his seasons. He's virtually a one-man team. Even when a Kevin Garnett was a one-man team in Minnesota, he was either in the lottery or one and done. Anthony Davis last year got that team into the playoffs, dragged that team into the playoffs in the West, virtually impossible to do. And I think he'll do it again. He's from all reports, had a good offseason, got an even better physical condition, and his track record alone has shown he gets better and better, significantly better, if that's possible for him. Each year he's been in the league. And, oh, yeah, he's already the most dominant two-way player in the NBA, almost like a bigger 2012 version of LeBron being how much he can impact a game on both sides of the court the way LeBron did. Remember LeBron being that eraser on defense for Miami that year? That was frightening. I think if New Orleans makes a slight jump, maybe wins north of 50, which should be good enough for a six-seed-ish in the West on that bum team Davis plays on, that will be good enough. MVP Anthony Davis, 
Coach of the year, I'm going to go with Brad Stevens. The more and more I see of the Celtics, the more I am leaning where a lot of others are. I am late to the bandwagon, but I'm starting to creep my way onto the bandwagon. I was a bit critical, as the listeners of this show know, over the summer, but I'm just I'm having a hard time leaning away from that direction. Stevens already has the respect amongst his peers. It seems like it's a matter of when, not if, he'll get this award. And I think if Boston can win 45 or more games this year, 45 being that magic number, I think he will get it because Coach of the Year generally goes to that surprise team, the overachievers. Yes, you have Boonholzer. If he can get 55 or 60 wins out of the Hawks again, maybe Milwaukee makes a jump. But this Celtics team, they have the roster of a fringe playoff team at best in the East, no less. If the Celtics do win about 45 or more, I think it's Stevens to lose. Okay, what else do we have? Let's see. Most improved player. This is always a quirky one. I'll go with Alfred Payton, and I'll say that I'm using the words of my friends uh, more so than using my eyes. Didn't keep too keen of an eye on Summer League, but I frequently, with many of these, talk with these people around the Magic, particularly their announcers and commentators like Dennis Newman, Jeff Turner, David Steele, and they've almost universally mentioned to me, and all in a beta league on separate occasions, how impressed they've been with him. He showed flashes last year. He actually had some big games at the end of the season. And if I'm right, maybe I might be wrong on this, but I believe he was all rookie first team. Anyways, maybe wrong, but he had a good season last year, and Manny and Orlando seem impressed. So I feel, if they feel that way, that he should make the jump. And, and what I saw with him in a few games last year, hey, I can too. So I'll toss my early prediction to him, Defensive Player of the Year. This is easy, Anthony Davis. Okay, next, sixth man. Okay, we got to go with Isaiah Thomas. Provided he stays in that role, we all know he should have won it last year. Don't need any more explanation. I will say to keep an eye on Nikola Miritich. If he isn't starting, but he's looked strong in the preseason, he's actually a good guy to keep an eye on, too, for most improved as well. But he looked good whenever he was able to get time with Tibbs last year. Now the new coach, probably more of an emphasis to play these young players, especially if he's playing as well as he's had in the preseason. And a few times I've caught some Bulls clips. He has the tools, so he's a wild card, actually, in two awards. But with sixth man, Isaiah Thomas, just replicate last year, which he should. That is his award. And lastly, for individuals, rookie, I'll go with Jahil Okafor. He's on a garbage team. He can pad his stats all games. He's in conference without any dominant bigs. And I think he's someone who can grab 18 and 9 right away. So he'll so be on a team that's going to lose 60 games. But uh, I think he's, just, he's talented enough. And if he's going to get all the touches in the world to do what he needs to do, All right, real quick, I think this one is easy. All-NBA first team, Curry, Harden, Durant, James, Davis. And lastly, the finals prediction, Cavs over Spurs in seven. I hinted at this a few weeks ago with Tass Mellis of NBA TV. This is time for Cleveland to break through, just like the case with Miami. They needed a year. All those guys familiar with each other now. They should come back and be healthy. LeBron, is he as good as he was in 2012? No. But is he still probably the best player in the league? Is he still playing at an all-time level? Yes and hell yes. They have the talent, the pieces, the easy conference to keep the bodies fresh, you think. The Spurs, I love their team this year, but they got to run the gauntlet out west. And they get to a series where the opposing team will have the best player and a talent that is equivalent, if not superior to their own players. LeBron, he's had a great personal rivalry with the Spurs. He knows how to lose to them. But he knows how to beat him as well. One of the best Game 7 performances I've ever seen not too long ago. I think he's going to break through. You know he's going to fulfill that promise to Cleveland or Northeast Ohio. In his words, it's just a matter of when. When will be June of 2016. It's happening. Cleveland Cavaliers, NBA champions. Whoever thought we'd hear that phrase? That'd be like the freaking Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. What a baseball playoff so far, though, huh? And a little longer than around the NBA and five. But, anyways, that's going to do it for Around the NBA in 5, presented by American Farmers Network. They of healthy, certified, organic, grass-fed meats, which come from small family farms and ranches. What was once the backbone of our great country for many, many, many years. You know, every day we funnel our money to those mega corporations who really, really don't, they just don't care that much about us, especially when it comes to food. But this meat is produced on small family farms who care about their animals and, in turn, care about you. So, definitely... Check them out, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. It's Sunday morning, my favorite time of the week, Steak and Eggs Sunday. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Leonard Alsing, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. 
Love to thank our guest, Brent Barry, number three. It was a really great time. As well as our sponsors, Linda, Audible, Tick IQ, DraftKings, Harry's, and American Farmers Network for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Chelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat. I'm Larry H. Russell. I hinted at a surprise a few times on this show. Next Sunday, president of the Boston Celtics, Rich Gotham, will use the show to talk about the coming season. Next Sunday, another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.